0: Hello, I'm Elizabeth, an obsessive backyard gardener who might be
1: able to offer you a couple of tips. And I'm Keith, a landscape consultant, and I'm also passionate about gardening.
0: The one thing we both have in common is Muddy muddy
1: boots. Boots.
0: Today we're going to talk about how to plant a garden border for year-round colour and interest in the garden. And I'm going to make the most, as I always do, of this perfect opportunity to use an area in my garden which could definitely do with some help, as Keith explains the process from the ground up. Keith, what exactly is a garden border?
1: Okay, so a a border is a real English garden favourite. And this is a garden that's located on the perimeter of structures, such as maybe in front of a a hedge, uh, in front of fences or walls and maybe along property lines, and is full of lush, flowering, herbaceous perennials that provide reliable, long-lived floral and foliage displays.
0: Now, that sounds divine. So how, or, or does that actually firstly suggest that this is the sort of design that was originated from England? Because it sounds like it. Yeah,
1: it is. So, so the best garden borders that I have been lucky enough to see have been from the most visited gardens in, in, in the UK, such as Great Dixter, Bodnant, Hidcote Manor, Wisely, Beth Chatto Gardens and Powers Castles, to name but a few. And the standard of these garden borders for me has been those at Sissinghurst in Kent, created by Harold and Vita Sackville West. And this is an Elizabethan, Elizabethan castle circa around about 1560 to 1570 and has 10 gardens with some of the most famous herbaceous borders with the stand-up being the white garden. So if anyone's ever been lucky enough to go there, they will just love the white garden.
0: I can't wait to get there one day. This
1: so this fun. is a rectangular garden and, was rec- and this was rec- um, created after the Second War, World War using entirely white flowering plants. And they had a mix of that with grey foliage. And the structure of these borders comes from the crossing pathways designed by Harold framed with box hedging. So that's the structure that comes with it. Mm. And this has become the most famous of the separate gardens. Um, And this is much orchestrated of of all the gardens as Vita calculated its likely appearance on a week-by-week basis Mm. as different plants of different heights flowered at different times. And in the centre of this garden is a huge metal arbour. And this is co- co- covered with a white climbing rose, Rosa longiscapsis. And this is in full flower in, in early July and is enclosed, enclosed by one of Harold's neat box hedges. Uh, other famous borders are seen at, at Wisley, the home of the Royal Horticultural Society, and the standout one here is designed by my favourite designer, Johnny, that's yep. Piet Aldhoff. Uh, the leading figure of the new perennial movement.
0: We should all get over to Europe and have a. we, oh. sh- we should. Ta- we should take a tour. We should take you off to take a tour. We could probably
1: it off on tax. Oh, we me. could.
0: <laughs> We're so successful. We could. Um, but there are some beautiful examples to see in Melbourne gardens too, aren't there? So we oh. don't have to go quite so far to see them.
1: No, you don't. And the best border planting that I've seen here in Australia is in Victoria, it's in Alinda, and are the cool and hot coloured borders of Cloud Hill, set in the Dandenong Ranges.
0: Yes, they are fantastic.
1: And these borders are the creation of Jeremy Francis, and are entered via steps through a central hedge down to a gravel and paved pathway. And then on either side of the path are the border plantings, which are picture framed by hedges and walls set at the back of the garden. Uh, This permanent living structure is created by using both evergreen plants like the conifers, like thuyas and these sorts of things, and then of course deciduous specimens like the silver pears, and these go to anchor that landscape. And then the rest of the plants are the long-flowering herbaceous perennials, and these are mixed with grasses.
0: Oh, you have got to go and see this, listeners. It's a most beautiful garden, especially in autumn. It's just gorgeous with all those various colours. Oh, it's amazing. Okay, so let's get down to business, if you don't mind. As I mentioned earlier, I thought it might be a good idea to use a a bed in my garden as an example of a home garden border to work on. I haven't yet managed to perfect the planting to provide that year-round interest. So look forward to some advice from Keith. <laughs> it looks quite nice through most of the seasons, but in winter it's just it's it's almost empty. So what is the first thing that needs to be considered when planning a border from scratch? Is it weather conditions? Is it position of the sun? Is it soil health? What is it?
1: Well it's all of those things, but the most important thing is the is is the that part that's missing from that list. Oh. And that's a design. Well,
0: I did. I did have a design. In the beginning, I did have a design. It just obviously wasn't the most successful one because it's, it's missing in winter. Yeah. It's merely missing. So go for it, people. Right, so you need to know,
1: uh, the, the, you know the size of the plant spread, its height and its colour, and then to correctly position that into the bed.
0: Mm. Mm, Okay, well, my garden is in a semi-shade position. I'm going to keep pushing my garden Mm -hmm. here with a few hours of morning sun and then a little at the end of the day. It currently is surrounded by a border. It's a box hedge and it has about three salvias, which are Megan's Magic, Bog Sage, Mexican Limelight, which all grow quite tall and flower from spring to autumn but are dormant in winter. So apart from the lamb's ears and a few other bits and pieces, it's really quite bare. What have I done, Keith?
1: well you've got lots of of options here um and what you need to do is introduce that winter structure yes and this can be um, by adding winter flowering plants such as hellebores or winter flowering shrubs and the other option is to introduce plants that will dry off and die but still carry interest through the winter yes yes that's a good idea this 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 is something that you know we just don't get our heads around properly Mm. and this process can be done with grasses and ornamental perennial flowering heads like those of the Rudbeckia where they've, they've just dried off and they've dropped all their leaves, coneflowers, uh, heleniums, echinops, and all these others look brilliant during the wet, frosty, foggy days. You know, you, you get them covered with with um, spider webs, yeah. and that just sets another theme. Yes. You know, it yes. just looks absolutely fantastic. Yes. Um, you know, we don't do enough for this wintering of our plants. You know, because we we look at them and say, well, they're dead; they have finished their cut job. Cut them off and I cut them back. Yeah. So it's about leaving them alone. Yeah. It, you know, if we did more of this wintering of the plants, you know, you'd be amazed at the spectacle they provide. Now you can and you can leave them in this state until spring, and then you have only a short period of a garden without interest while well, you cut all that back, and then you get the new growth coming along.
0: Okay, so you've got the new growth coming up, and at that time when you can see that new growth coming up, can—that's an opportunity to cut things back, to exactly. put those things back. It makes, it makes complete sense, of course. But is, in general, is it necessary that a border garden be enclosed with a framework of some kind, or not?
1: Yeah, I, mean, I, like, I like to have a border, you know, as this adds structure to the garden, Um, you know when the other plants are dormant but in terms of um, a framework well we're getting away perhaps then from um, a perennial border maybe if we're having big open spaces this we're getting more into into a a wildflower meadow rather than than a a perennial border so a border's got to have that that structure to it which is going to be you know set behind something with maybe a path going down through the middle of it okay so speaking of structure plants structure
0: the plant mm-hmm. structure, plants within the bed are important too in a border garden, and this is something else my garden bed lacks. So it's it, it's under a window, so I need something relatively low-growing. Do you, what as far as structure? I know you mm-hmm. mentioned the grasses and all those sort of things, but but ongoing
1: structure. What do you suggest? Okay, uh, plants that would work here would be plants like the raphiolepsis family. Oh, so yes. um, if you walked out your front yard and looked across the road at the black house, yes, then the black house. Across the road has got Raphaelepsis, and they've used that as the structure of, of that particular garden. Uh-huh. So, um, and you can use them in layers, right? Yes, um, you know. So there's a taller variety which is called raphiophytes oh. Oriental Pearl, oh, yes. and that's at the back, and yes. then lower forms in front of that, are like uh, raphiophytes Snow Maiden. And yes. these are both flowering varieties. Uh, other suge- suggestions for that would be box, but rather than the common form of English box, which can be problematic with it drying out and getting disease. Mm. There's far better options. There's Korean box, there's Japanese box, and and these are less contrived with larger leaves and a slight weeping habit to them. Mm. So they're just a sensational-looking little plant.
0: Okay. All right, so that's great. I'm picturing all these things now, and it's starting to look quite nice. (laughs) Once that structure is in place, what is the best or easiest way to plan our seasonal plants? Should we draw up a calendar of plants that we like and their flowering periods? Is that an idea? or can, Because we've got to consider a colour scheme and style and all yeah. that sort of thing. How do we do this?
1: Well, this? This is all a very important consideration. So you need to group spring flowering plants and consider their colours and then you need to look at summer and autumn mm. uh, plants and group them in the same manner. Mm. And this is in, an important part of the brief I take from my clients. So yes a plan, um, coloured it With flowering times, you you really need to sort of add that to the paper.
0: Mm, Okay, so it's a little bit of work to start with. And then if you do that, which I probably didn't do, I threw a few things in in, in my usual impatient (laughs) way, and it has been to my detriment. So now I think, going back to it again, I think cool, calm colours would suit my mostly shady border and thinking about various shades of greens, whites, and maybe blues, concentrating also obviously on texture, Mm -hmm. shape, and Fragrance,
1: yeah, correct. All of these are necessary. A garden, you know, yep. and it all forms part. It, it all forms part of the client's brief. You know, when I when yeah. I go out and see, speak to people, these are the things that I need Discuss to ask with them to sort of see what exactly what they want out of the garden.
0: Yeah, okay. And then there, once we've got the the structure in place and the, we made the choices about colours, there are the filler plants to think about. Plants that will act as the foundations of the bed throughout the seasons. Mm-hmm. So is that going back to the grasses and things like that? Yeah,
1: all that sort of thing. So you know, then these can take on, on lots and lots of different forms. You know, the use of evergreen plants can do the same job as the deciduous plant in the garden. Uh, They provide more more than just structure. They are the bones of the garden. Mm. Um, I've just ordered more plants to trial in my perennial garden. I've got some new grasses. Mm. So I haven't... I have used them before, but I haven't had them in my own garden because I know they are successful. but I want to try these. And this is there's one called Stiper gigantea, mm. um, which is a, it, it's a, it has lower, lower foliage but enormous tall heads of, of flowers. flowers. And they dry out beautifully mm. during the winter. You know? So I've just ordered some of those. Mm. And I've also ordered some new helenium. So there's some uh, more high beauty is, is one, but there's some better, better varieties now that are available and coming onto the market, which is just fantastic. Um, you know but you know i'd love I'd love you to look at the you know winter flowering plants and and yep. plants that will carry that interest right through that that winter period. I think
0: yes, well I'm going to be looking at your garden and getting some ideas from that for these new plants you're putting in, that sounds amazing. Thank you, Keith, that sounds absolutely fantastic. I think I've learnt that the key to achieving a beautiful border packed with colour and interest three hundred and sixty five days of the year is to make a thorough, thorough plan, and then to get planting Elizabeth thank you. Thank you for listening to Muddy Boots. For more information on today's podcast, please go to muddyboots.net.au and happy gardening.